Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Our experiences, memories, and circumstances make up how we see ourselves, others, and God. But sometimes our circumstances cover our view of God. Join us in the next installment of Covered as we discover how to move forward in hope when our circumstances are difficult. Did you know that you have selective memory? If you have a spouse here, your spouse just looked at you. Yes, you do. <laughs> Humans have selective memory. And, and the funny thing about it is that sometimes it's intentional, like as, as we just talked about, sometimes you weren't really listening to me whenever I was talking to you about this. I was listening, but selectively, and you forget about it, right? But we also, the, our brains actually have this, I don't know if you want to call defense mechanism, if you want to just call it being optimistic, our brains also will do it automatically for us. It has been found that whenever somebody suffers a traumatic event, the brain will actually forget pieces of that traumatic event to help the brain cope with the stress that that came from that trauma. So if you listen to somebody who has gone through a terrible moment in their lives, They'll remember pieces of it, but not every part of it. This is the brain defending itself, trying to find a way to cope with it. But it's not just in traumatic and and negative experiences. It's also positive experiences. How many of you remember a family vacation that you just love? Oh, it was the greatest family vacation ever. Or, Or maybe an experience with somebody. Uh, oh, that was like the best night ever. We, we did this, that, these, and those. But you know what we forget is that there are negative aspects to those experiences. When you go on a family vacation, the family fights at some point, but you don't remember that. Oh, that was the greatest vacation we ever had. We went here or there and everywhere. Remember we did this, that, these, and those. Yeah, and the brother and sister fought for five hours in the car on the way there, but you don't remember that. You remember the good times. Every person who's ever been married, something went wrong on your wedding day, you just don't remember it. You just remember the fact that it was one of the best days of your life. Humans have this amazing, maybe amazing, ability to have selective memory, whether we are doing it intentionally or not. And I think the reason that we are built like this is because as humans, our circumstances often really direct our reality, how we see the world, how we see people, how we see everything. Think about that for a second. When you are in some of the worst circumstances of your life, is everything rosy? No. Is everything peachy? No. The circumstances are there. And that's really all that you see when things are good. That can affect the way that we see other people and maybe even God and even ourselves. So, today, as we read from a prophet, I want you to understand something here. When circumstances are difficult, we often go back to our memories. 
we go back to our nostalgia. We go back. We look for something that's good. When circumstances are difficult, that's what we do. We're looking for comfort. And today we're going to be challenged by God to not rely on memory, but to rely on him. Especially when the circumstances are so terrible and so difficult, it's difficult to see God. Today, we are going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. If you want to get out your Bibles or your apps to get there, we'll be, we'll be reading here soon. But the book of Isaiah actually involves numerous prophets, not just a single prophet. We are going to be reading a passage of scripture from the prophet who was the prophet during the Babylonian exile. I just said something about history, and some of your eyes is just glazed over. Let me <laughs> but it's really important to understand the context of this history, okay? The people of Israel, saved by God in the Exodus. This is a review of everything that we've talked about over the past few weeks. They're saved. They meet God on Sinai. They get a covenant. They fail. They go. They fail. They keep going. They fail. That's a lot of what the Old Testament is. And the people are guided by God into a land. They become a kingdom. They get kings. Well, as kingdoms, as many of you know, kingdoms don't always do what God wants because they're looking for power and resources and wealth. Well, God's people were just like everybody else. God said to them at the very beginning of this, hey, please trust me, I'm going to make you a blessing for the nations. Well, being a kingdom, I don't necessarily want to be a blessing. <laughs> I would like some more. Prophets came to these kings and to these kingdoms. We talked a little bit about this last week with Elijah. Well, they kept on seeking other things. And the prophets kept on saying to them, hey, if you do this, God's going to bring you down, going to humble you. And here's where history and the prophetic words meet. I want you to hear this. Every single geopolitical power, nation, kingdom, whatever you want to call it, has fallen. Do you hear that? Throughout all of history, they have fallen on some level or not. You can go all the way back to ancient Chinese dynasties. You can go back to Rome. You can go back to even before that. As countries assert their power and get more competitive, at some point something goes wrong. The prophets said to Israel and Judah, don't be like these countries. God will judge you and bring you down. They didn't listen. So they fell. They fell at the hands of a power called Assyria. And like all the other countries, Assyria went for power and wealth and resources. And guess what? The prophet said, Assyria is going to fall. Just so you know, they're not doing as what God wants. They're going to fall. And sure enough, Assyria falls. And all of Israel, all of these people, God's chosen people are thinking, oh, yes, God's going to reestablish us as we expect him to. 
And then comes a power named Babylon. And this is the space where the people of Israel, the people who were saved by God in the Exodus, begin to wonder, is God really there? Is God really good? Is God really going to save us? Because we just heard a bunch of prophets say that Assyria is going to fall down, and they fell down, but then all of a sudden Babylon just showed up. We thought we were done with exile. And you can hear in the prophets of this time period, doubt, wrestling with what is God going to do now? Because we didn't expect Babylon. You told us that Assyria was going to fall. Great. Awesome. I want, the, I want the good life back. And so this prophet, second Isaiah, as we call them in the academic world, has a word for the people of God who are struggling to see God in their circumstance. God is legitimately covered by their circumstances. They don't even know if God is there anymore. Maybe you can relate with that today. Maybe if you've never had faith in God, you can relate with that today. And the answer that we receive is something, as I said, not the most solid and concrete but we'll see what God has to say in this moment. Isaiah chapter 43, beginning with verse 14, we read these words. The Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says, for your sake I have sent an army to Babylon and brought down all the bars, turning the Chaldeans singing into lament. You're an Israelite right now. All right, Babylon's going down again, woo! I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. The Lord, says, who, the Lord says, who makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and battalion, they will lie down together and will not rise. They will be extinguished, extinguished like a wick. Okay, God, you're reminding us of the Exodus. In the Exodus, we saw paths arise out of the sea. The waters are held back. They get through. Egypt is right on their tail, and they're saved. Okay, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm liking what you're saying here, God. I'm loving it. Verse 18. Don't remember the prior things. Don't ponder ancient history. All of a sudden, you have whiplash. Look, I am doing a new thing. Now it sprouts up. Don't you recognize it? I am making a way in the desert, paths in the wilderness. The beasts of the field, the jackals, and the ostriches will honor me because I have put water in the desert and streams in the wilderness to give water to my people, my chosen ones, this people whom I'm formed for myself, who will recount my praise. These people have centuries old, have a century old, centuries old relationship with God. How do they know this God? 
He saved him from slavery. That has been the one common factor in all of these conversations that we've had, in all these messages that we had. They always look back to the Exodus as this defining moment when God reaches into human history and pulls a people out of oppression so that they might live a different life. That's what the Old Testament really is about. And the story of how they were designed to help God save the world. And yet they were failures. The journey was not straight. It was like this. And in this moment when they're questioning, God, are you even there? Are you even capable of saving us again? Because we are in our second exile. And this is... There's, there's really no better word for this. This is hell. This is terrible. This is the worst experiences of my entire life. I, it's, everything is unjust. Everything is terrible. We are suffering. Are you even there? Our circumstances can cover God's presence so easily. And so as God speaks to them, he identifies by how he has acted previously. But then he gives us this whiplash don't sit here dwelling on what I have done previously. Don't do it. Do you know why God says this? It's the same conversation we were having earlier. When things get difficult, we start to look backwards. Our memories often make us feel better about whatever it is that is, is hurting us, whatever it is that's giving us a difficult time, whatever it is that is causing these circumstances. And so for years upon years upon years, the people of Israel looked backwards to the Exodus, but God is trying to shake them out of this because God is about to do a new thing. And if you want to see the new thing, you can't be looking backwards. So just to remind us of where we are, difficult circumstances, difficult circumstances, oh, that's not what I'm looking for there. It repeated again. It's weird. There we are. Difficult circumstances often cloud our vision of reality, of ourselves, of others, and God. What we do is we often look backwards with rose-colored glasses for comfort. I'm not going to get too much into this, but you ever hear somebody complain about the way the world is today? You know why? Because they look backwards with rose-colored glasses like it was so much better back then. But guess what? The nostalgia that we feel when we do that is forgetting all of the wrongs, all of the injustices, all of the bad circumstances that were happening then. Difficult circumstances often cloud our vision of reality of ourselves, of others, and of God. You ever heard somebody in the church say, oh, we need to get back to doing church like this? It's nostalgia. Oh, it was so good at this moment. Remember when this and that and these and those. Yeah. There was also some really terrible things happening in the church at that time. 
It happens. It happens to all of us. So what God is doing is he is saying this to say, don't look at these things. Because what we do is we make God an idol. We make the way that he has worked an idol. And we say, God only works in this way. God only works through this song or this style or He only works in miraculous moments on mountaintops or he only works whenever he makes donkeys talk or he only works, do you see this? And what have we been talking about this entire series? He is who he is. He will be who he will be. He acts how he acts. Do not put a box on him. Do not do it. Because he's going to do a new thing. And so for us, We need to recognize that if our faith is relying on our memory, faith is relying on nostalgia, we're not really having a faith in God, we're having a faith on those things. Bernard Anderson says this, Here is faith that does not turn to the archaic past, longing for the good old days, but stands on tiptoe, facing the new age that God is about to introduce. Even now, those new things, those acts of new creation are evident if one has the eyes of faith to perceive them. Bernard Anderson is taking what Isaiah is saying here and saying, hey, don't focus on the present circumstances and don't focus on what circumstances were. Keep your eyes open for God and have hope that he's going to do something. You might not know what it is, but he's going to do something. Because this God has shown up time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. It's why we have the audacity to call this God faithful. We have the audacity to call this God love. This God is different than everything else. And you can rely that he's going to do something, even if you don't know what it is. We have to hope in God. We have to hope in God. forget what the next slide is. Can you just throw it real quick? I'm sorry. Yeah, I I thought this was next. Memory is not hope, y'all. Nostalgia is not hope. Hope is faith that God will act in being open to whatever act that is. Y'all hear that? Memory is not hope, and nostalgia is not hope. Hope is faith that God will act in being open to whatever act that is. So what does God promise the people? (laughs) He starts talking about desert, wilderness, beasts, jackals, and ostriches. Uh, God, our problem is Babylon, not jackals. There's There's a... there's a wonder of exactly why God speaks in this way. Some interpreters say God began began to speak poetically 
through the prophets because it was easier to remember. I also sometimes wonder if the prophets received this message from God and God knew it was going to be longer than they were expecting. Because you have to all realize something here. This prophecy is not made, it's not fulfilled for centuries. <laughs> so he's being a little vague. <laughs> but God's new movement is going to be something that Israel has not seen before. Yeah, they've had leaders before, but they have never had God incarnate. This is speaking about Jesus, who is to come hundreds of years later. And so what you see here are these words that meant significant things to the people of Israel. And God is saying, I'm going to act in these kinds of ways, but it's not, hey, I'm going to bring down Babylon and, you know, do this. I'm going to change the world forever through my son, Jesus Christ. And he does this prophecy with these words that they already know. Wilderness and when you see desert and wilderness, they're the same in scripture. This is a Middle Eastern people. We're not talking about the national forests of Cuyahoga, uh, the Cuyahoga Valley or the Allegheny National Forest where I grew up. We're talking about significant difficulty to get water, an arid, terrible place. But this wilderness, when you see wilderness in Scripture, it's always an indicator that it's a difficult time. It's always a difficult time. So what God brings to his people who are struggling, who are focusing on their circumstances and say, I'm going to bring you through this difficult time, this wilderness. And this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to give you a path, just like I gave you a path before. But I'm also going to bring water. What is life in the wilderness of the Middle East? It's water. You cannot live in a desert without water. He's bringing life. And around this river... Your greatest enemies of the wilderness will come to drink from the same stream that I give to you. Jackals and beasts and ostriches. These are metaphors for the enemies of Israel. It's not really what they're probably looking for. But God is speaking. And Brueggemann says this. So wonderfully, the substance of the promises in this prophecy is derived from old memories, but the power to generate the newly promised reality is rooted in not what is old, but what is fresh and alive about Yahweh. God is going to do a new thing. And it's going to look like Israel's enemies coming and not hurting Israel, but drinking from the same river of life as them. If you're a New Testament person, you know what this means. If you're not, and you're like, what is he talking about? Let me just share with you. Under Jesus Christ, when Jesus came into this world, everybody thought that he was a Messiah that was going to take care of Israel's enemies. 
Rome was the occupier. Jesus doesn't lead a revolution. Jesus doesn't lead a military. Jesus doesn't lead any of those things. He gives himself to die on a cross so that not just Israel, but Rome, and a Babylonian, and a Samaritan, an American, every Gentile, everybody would have new life. God is moving his people of Israel into a new exodus, a new covenant, a new community. And it is the church where the things that have defined us for years do not define us anymore, but rather we all drink from the stream of life in the wilderness. And that is Jesus. We live because he has saved us and defeated sin and death the ultimate enemies of every single one of us. That's an amen, y'all. You ever hear people saying, the problem with the world is this, that, these, and those? No, the problem is the universal reality that we sin. And the reason why we die is because we sin. Jesus defeats them both. And Jesus offers a life that is completely different than all the rest of the world. It's a call to wilderness. It's a call to wilderness, y'all. Why does Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Please, you need to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and care for those in need. These are postures of wilderness. Jesus' ministry is intentionally going into the difficult spaces of our world because the world created that wilderness. And you and I are to drink from his stream. And those who we saw as enemies join us in living out his will and his kingdom in radical forgiveness, in peacemaking, in hope-giving, and in love. We don't look at the circumstances of the wilderness and say, ah, I can't see God in the wilderness. No, he's with you already. He has provided for you already. And he will give you all that you need to live as he wants you to. For us, as we hear all of this, because this is, this is big, this is huge, we're talking about hundreds of years of history, and you might just get really bored, pastor, just cut to the chase. I come back to the question, have you ever doubted God's presence in your life because of what you're going through? God's answer to you might not be this five-step plan <laughs> like we want. It might not look like the thing that you want to be said. It might just look like God saying, 
I'm making a path through this. I will give you what you need to get through it. I am with you. I'm doing a new thing. Because that's what we can be. God can give you a path in the midst of your worst difficulty, suffering, and you won't take it. You know why? You're not looking for God to do the new thing in your life. You're looking for what you know behind you. The memory and the nostalgia becomes our hope instead of God himself. So if you need to hear this today, if you're doubting God's presence in your life, I need you to hear this. You ready? Your circumstances. Your circumstances do not dictate God's presence. You hear that? Your circumstances do not dictate God's presence. Well, why would God let this happen? Your circumstances do not dictate God's presence. What you are going through is the effects of sin and death in a world that has turned our world upside down. And God is continuously there trying to turn it the right way. And he is present in your life. Your circumstances do not dictate God's presence. God will act in new ways, in ways different from before. And you can have hope in that. I think a lot of us are looking for God to do crazy miracles in the world. But Jesus is the ultimate miracle. He's the one who's defeated sin and death. And so I want you instead to move your mind from God working behind a cloud on top of a mountain and through talking donkeys and into the most amazing miracles of our day. Yes, God works miracles through miraculous healing. But you know how else God is working? He works whenever you listen to him and decide to forgive that person that you've never been able to give be, forgive before. God is enacting miracles when a single mom gets her kids out the door to school without saying any bad words. That's a miracle. We don't think that's a miracle. That's a miracle, y'all. It's a miracle when people from warring countries look at each other and say, I'm not going to kill you in the name of a government that's telling me to kill you. Miracles are happening every single moment in our world. We just have to have eyes to see the new thing that God is doing. You can't just get stuck on what's behind you. To look forward to see how God is bringing in new creation, new works, new things in this world. So don't allow your circumstances to cloud how you see God and how you see others and how you see yourself. You are a loved son or daughter of God. 
And so is the person that you want to hate the most. And may you move forward allowing him to direct how to live with that person or those people. And it's not to make the five-point plan. It's to love. It's to forgive. It's to be people of peace. It is to be a blessing to others as God has blessed us. God is present in your worst of times and your best of times. Lean on him for everything. There was a song that was written by one of my favorite bands a few years ago. Um, band is called Need to Breathe. I don't know if many of you have ever heard Need to Breathe before. But they wrote an album uh, that's titled Rivers in the Wasteland. Wasteland is an equivalent of desert wilderness. Rivers in the waste. You see where this is going here? And their first song, I'm not joking, I don't I don't like to be emotional, but the first song gets me every time. And if you were to hear it, we're not going to play it because of, like, the stream would be muted out immediately, so we can't really do that. But I can share with you some lyrics. And the lyrics come from a voice that's not triumphant, that's not saying anything like, oh, I've got this. His voice is weary. His voice is tired. You can tell when he wrote this song, he was in a desert. He was in a wilderness. He was in a wasteland. And this is how the chorus goes. In this wasteland where I'm living, there is a crack in the door filled with light. And it's all that I need to get by. And it repeats, in this wasteland where I'm living, there is a crack in the door filled with light. And it's all that I need to shine. That's hope in a God that has not been a parent. That's hope in a God that just gives you this little bit and you can live as he wants you to. The tag is this. And again, he sings this not with victory, but with, weary, with a weary voice. If God is on my side, if God is on my side, if God is on my side, who can be against me? He repeats that three times because you know what? It's really hard to believe that God is on your side when you're going through the wasteland. But the good news is God is with you. He's going to do something new. You might not know what it looks like. It might be really difficult for you to accept. It might require you to sacrifice Lean on him. He will make a way in the wilderness. 
He will give you the life that you need to live in Him. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.